break. Welcome, everyone. Here's another episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. I'm excited because my voice is back, I think. The last couple of episodes, I uh, barely had a voice, but I feel like it's back now, so you could all hear the glorious tones of my voice. And I'm also excited because I have a guest calling in all the way from San Francisco. It's early. We did it early. It's early for him, but I guess he's an early riser from San Francisco, California. I don't know much about uh, Kevin, so we're going to discuss uh, everything here, but I know he's a hot sauce purveyor, El Enojado Hot Sauce, and he's a dad. And uh, I don't know much more, but I'd like to welcome the show, Kevin Chanel. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, you pronounced Elenahado pretty much correctly. No, awesome. That was good. Not many people can do that. I'm in Florida. I mean, I'm in South Florida, so if I can't pronounce that, that's pretty bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Near Miami. Um, all right, so yeah, that's how, I mean, me and Kevin kind of met that way because I ordered uh, the, the Watt Sauce, of course, El Enojado, uh, kind of recently, right? The, that's a recent addition, the Watt Sauce? Yeah, that's my, my most recent one. Right. Uh, Mike Watt, obviously his sauce. So I ordered it and I got it and it was awesome and I loved it. And I, you know, then we went back and forth. I, I you know, shared that I got it and he said, cool. And I guess so. So tell me. All right. So, Kevin, do you and you and Mike Watt have a connection, some kind of a connection uh, musically or yeah. do you know? How, how do you guys know each other? I kind of both um, musically and otherwisely um, back in what have been, 84, 85. Um, the Minutemen were playing in San Diego. There's a uh, Minutemen social distortion, and, and uh, I was in a band called The Front back then. Um, and we were opening for the Minutemen. It was us, the Minutemen, and uh, Social D. And um, we were uh, doing our sound check. We were the first to play, so we were sound checking. And um, my bass broke down, like the, the pickup broke, so I couldn't get any sound going. And just that second, uh, the Minutemen walked in with their stuff. And so I was like, hey, Mike Watt, love your stuff. Uh, my name is Kevin. <laughs> Can I, I use it? Well, if I used your bass, <laughs> which is like pretty forward. I mean, wow. What I know. I was a kid. I didn't. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. I mean, that's. Uh... Yeah, I had no, I had no options. Um, so I, I, he very politely let me use his. Wow. Uh, precision. He had this old, old Fender Precision that was like, I swear to God, I think I was a pretty young, skinny dude tiny guy back then so i think the thing was as big as me right and i was using uh i don't know how much you know about fenders or yeah, yeah. anybody listening will understand this i had a fender music master bass which is really tiny it's like right. for kids yeah music master yep yeah. they're they're small and so i was using his and it was like holy fuck this thing is so large a man's like, bass I, you were playing a man's bass there <laughs> playing a man's bass and i had to man up and uh i did and uh got through the set somehow uh, but there's, it's funny. I years ago I saw pictures, and I'm I'm just dwarfed by this thing. Right. And you can tell it happens well, but like the action's really high because he you know goes through those big round tones and stuff. So I'm like, man, while I'm playing it, I'm like, how the hell can he play such great bass lines with the action so high? Because it's like, man, you really got to crunch to to get one note to be clear. Right. But um, anyway, so that was it, and we talked backstage a bit, and. Um, we just kind of kept in touch throughout the years. And so years later, I became uh, um, a writer, uh, editor for this magazine called Hypno in San Diego. And we got, uh, we stayed in touch from there. And I interviewed him for when, when Ball Hog or Tugboat came out. There are some things a guy gets from his pot. Some of those things get spaced, others never forgot. I got such a tradition 
And just over the years, um, I also had a magazine with my wife and, and that night called Punk Rock Confidential. Uh, that was in the early 2000s. Interviewed him for that. Um, you know, again, we know we just kept crossing paths over the right. years. To see him play and say hi, would chat and stuff like that. We just kind of stayed friends. So I'd been doing Alan Ahato for a while, for a couple of years. Started with just you know the one with uh, my father on the on the label, and then uh, got uh, did one for with Hatch Chili's for uh, Scared of Chaka, uh, which is one of the band from New Mexico, the band from New Mexico. So I did one for my pal Cisco, who was in that band. And then I just kept like coming up with wacky ideas of, of things to do. And it didn't even occur to me until two years later, oh, wait, Watt's a big hot sauce guy. Because <laughs> he traveled with a bottle of hot sauce in his shirt. Like that was his his luggage was a bottle of hot sauce. Nice. Um, and so uh, I asked him if he wanted to do it, and he was all, all up for it. And um, he said, basically, yeah, if I, could, if I can create the flavor, and I'm like, absolutely. You know, do what you want. So he gave me all these ingredients, and I kind of tested them out. And over a while, I don't know, about a couple of weeks, we we came up with, we dialed it in, as as they say. He got uh, the flavor he wanted with all the all the ingredients balanced out. And luckily, it's been a real big success. It's people really seem to dig it. It's really good. I mean, it's just it's really good. It's uh, aside from everything else, and aside from what, just being an awesome guy, right? He's he's like he's great. He's one of the best. Seriously, um, but yeah, always has been a really good dude. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. So that's awesome. So is this? Is, so is El Enojado? By the way, anyone? I guess the best place is they can just go to elenojado dot com. Yeah. Okay. Is this your side hustle? Is this your main thing? Or now? Or <laughs> I'm just Both curious. Started out as a side hustle. Um, actually, it was my wife wanted uh, me to get a hobby. I was working at a corporate job. And just hating it and not being very happy at all. And she was like, oh, man, you got to get a hobby. Right. So I, wasn't, I hadn't been playing music for a long time or anything like that. So she kind of talked me into doing random different things. Like, no, nah, it didn't really take. Hey, you know, make uh, brew pickles. You know, maybe you'll enjoy that. <laughs> I like pickles, sure. <laughs> right. I did that. I kind of got bored with that. And about a year or two before I started Elanahado, she um, got me a, a hot sauce making kit, which I let sit in the, you know, in the breakfast nook for about a year and a half. I just sat there right. and I was like, yeah, hey, maybe someday I'll give it a shot. So finally one day I was bored enough and I did it and I, I just like sunk. I got way into it. I, you know, immediately after I did the two bottles you start out with, I went and like started sourcing stuff. Right. Like how, where do I get the, you know, the, the bottles from? Where do I get packaging? Where do I get, you know, labels made, you know, things like that. I just completely immersed myself in it. But that's actually the side hustle. Uh, my wife and I have a record store in San Francisco a place called Grooves and Spiraled Vinyl uh, right on Market Street in San Francisco. It's oh, been nice. there for, God, it's been there since 94. Uh, her father started it. So he he was an old uh, San Francisco um, beatnik, hippie era, uh, you know, man about town and used to do light shows for all the big bands and stuff like that. And started a record store in 94 because he was being forced by his wife to, <laughs> to do something. Right. You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> records everywhere in every part of the house, as well as lunch boxes and posters and you know everything from back then. Dude had like I don't know how many thousands of records, but this this house was completely packed full of records. So he started a record store, and he passed away about five six years ago. And we took over, and we've been doing it since then. And so that's that's the main thing. I was able to quit the corporate job and and thank God, be, right? Thank God. Yeah, soul crushing. <laughs> Totally so. <laughs> I know. Um, wow, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. All right, so yeah, so we, you know, we're back and forth. Hey, cool. You know, this, this hot sauce is great. Oh, I see you're into music. And then I invited him on the show. And then you brought it. You said an album, and um, I imagine it didn't take you long to pick this one because I feel like you had this one cocked and loaded. And it is just to me, it just blew me away. I never. I'm, I was a big. I'm a big fan of XTC and Andy Podgers, and I knew nothing about this. So, uh, what is that? What is the record? What are we talking about? Take away the lure of salvage. Uh, I got turned on to around the time it came out. I had just gotten into XTC, so Drums and Wires came out. Some like high school punk friends of mine um, really, really dug XTC. Uh, I kind of thought it was a little too geeky and too like uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, having listened to it, right. I heard and for Nigel, I heard Life Begins with the Hobbit, like, man, this is a really good pop tune. We're only making plans for Nigel. We only want what's best for him. We're only making plans for Nigel. Listen to the record, and I hated it. I just thought drums and wires were like really. I could not stand it, and it's actually been that way with almost every XTC album I've heard. It's like the first time I hear it, it's like oh, I don't know, man. This ain't that good. It's a little too self-aware. It's a little too like nudge, nudge, you know, elbow in the ribs kind of stuff. Okay, okay. And, uh, but then like second or third listen, and I'm like hooked. I think it's the best thing ever. Right. It was totally that way, and so I, you know, got really into it. I, you know handmade a, a sweatshirt with black paint and a, <laughs> stuff like that. I just got really into it. And then um, one of the friends who turned me on to it uh, played me Take Away the Lure of Salvage. I think that it had just come out. And immediately I was completely floored. I just, I, first it was like the, the, the task of trying to figure out which song is which. Right. And like, right. Hey, that's like millions. Oh, wait, that kind of sounds like... And then you get to the end and it's uh, that wacky version of uh, Making Plants for Nigel, which is um, New Groom. And uh, then it was just like, that became one of my favorite lines. And I listened to it over and over. It kind of got me into dub. Like, I didn't really pay attention to dub before that. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I was wondering, like, if you were already a fan of dub or if this kind of introduced you to dub. So explain for those who don't know, because which I'm imagining uh, most people are not going to know this. I just I just I don't think so unless it's just I'm just totally out of the loop. But explain to everyone what this is. OK, so um, Andy Partridge, uh I, I only read this last night, by the way. This is kind of like me trying to cram for the test. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I mean, the first couple of XTC albums were produced by John Leckie. Famous, awesome producer, award-winning, you know, very well-respected. And in the interviews, I've heard a really nice guy. But uh, so he did Drums and Wire. I'm not, I don't know. Sorry, White Music and Go To. Right. And after, or during Go To, him and Andy Partridge, you know, they were palling around and drinking buddies and all that. They went in and did five songs uh, from Go To as dub versions, just kind of screwing around. 
and they put that out with GoTo, the, like the first 15,000 copies or something like that. Right, and it was called like a, a Go Plus, right? So there's a uh, kind of mechanic dancing and, and uh, I am the audience, a few of those tunes, and they just really mess with them. And, and that's actually pretty, um, it's pretty uh, faithful to the dub idea of just, you, know, you drop some stuff out, you add a couple of new sounds in, you, you mix with the, the balance and the, the panning and this and that, real straight up. And it's, it's good. It's really good. But uh, when it came time for Drums and Wires, they went with Steve Lillywhite as the producer, Again, a great producer. Uh, he, had, he hadn't done that much stuff by then, so this with Drums and Wires is one of the things that kind of put him on everybody's radar. drums and wires so they booked some time at some studio uh and they took andy partridge and just took whatever tapes he grabbed so he grabbed stuff from the uh, go-to uh i think the first album as well and all of drums and wires and they get you know kind of hold themselves into the studio for a few days and whipped up the most insane uh personally it's my favorite dub album it's my favorite album it's my favorite xtc album <laughs> wow one was an xtc album he wanted to make it the next XTC he did album. and the, and the label went uh no <laughs> this cannot <laughs> count as one of your records with us yeah no way <laughs> and if, you know if, if you follow the trajectory of their career with virgin um it came out to be basically you can't use this as your contractual obligation album yeah of course which you can't blame i mean it's funny we just did a wilco album yankee hotel a foxtrot and the original the label they were on rejected it and we're, and at some point we're saying well you know what sometimes labels their their job is to make money for the label so you know they're a businessman so if sometimes it, it can't just be about art you know it's got to be about business and that was of course andy's thing was it's got to be about the art right, right. Well, of course which this is yeah, it's so because he didn't just dub, he didn't just do like I guess what he did with Go Plus, like make it dub, you know, accentuate the bass and take out things. He basically reconstructed these songs, right? He changed, he added different lyrics and he, and he just, uh, you know, he, add, he added things, he took out, and it's just like you said, it, it's crazy. It's kind of crazy in a way, but it, it's very yeah, he arty. In, he tore down all these tunes and made entirely new songs out of them. And it, I mean, 
of course, the fun part is trying to figure out which song is which. And, and I've seen a couple of different lists that have it all and talk about what they did to it. And, you know, well, they took the bass out and they added a different bass and they, they added just a poem over this one. And right, so, right, right. It just, one, it sounds like a hell of a fun time putting it together. Like I've, I've done dub stuff, in, you know, years and years and years ago. And it's always a kick to try and, you know, make the math work or, you know, make sure you're punching and punching out at the right time or putting in whatever you're putting in. But um, he completely, I mean, I guess those two guys, Lucky and, and Bartridge, they completely reformatted everything. It's, it doesn't sound like the originals almost to a T. I mean, it sounds completely like new stuff. And it sounds like really daring, really interesting, really challenging stuff. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, yeah, it really is. And, and I, I should, we should mention it was released in February 1980 uh, by uh, Virgin. And yeah, I could hear, I could definitely hear things that maybe he was influenced by and I could hear things that sound very futuristic and let you heard like later, you know, like 10, uh, 15 years after that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and of course the biggest thing is like, you're listening to it and you, you know, it's roads girdle the globe or whatever. And you're like, wow, he really only kept this one little bit that, that is like a thread throughout the entire song and then just built entirely different structures around it. And it, it's just amazing. The genius that was involved in it. Um, anyway, it's still, to this day, it still blows me away. I still love. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really cool that that you uh, fixated so much on this because this, by the way, also it's really hard to find this now. I mean, it's hard to find it in in any in any way. It was, I guess, later in 1990 they put this and they put the Go Plus thing together in a in a release in a compilation called Explode Together: The Dub Experiments, 78 to 80. But but that's hard to find too. <laughs> And oh, that's yeah, and that's on it, it, it's sort of on Spotify, like you could see it there, but you at least here in the US, you can't actually play it, it's not available. So, I'm imagining it's on Spotify, and maybe you could listen to it in other countries, but not in the US. So, uh, oh, what a shame! Yeah, so the way, yeah, uh, YouTube, of course, is, is the savior for this because aside from like purchasing the vinyl on Discogs for a lot of money. Uh, you can, all the songs have been put on YouTube, uh, which is, you know, it's good so you could hear it. But like I said, it was definitely a challenge to get it. Um, we'll start listening to it. But first, I just wanted to say that when it did come out, I mean, obviously, I guess everyone wasn't so uh, just excited and interested as you were yeah. because it got mostly bad reviews. <laughs> well, yeah, it got lambasted. For lambasted, sure. except where? Except in one place, though. Where? Oh, actually, no, I don't, uh, besides me, I don't have no idea. Japan. In Japan, no, the record was hailed as a work of electronic genius and outsold all other XTC albums. Yeah, yeah, I know. And there's a, I can't remember, there was some famous band, uh, Japanese band, that, that cited it as a major influence. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, now, I've read a couple, you know, trans badly unfortunately badly translated reviews and they really they get it you know basically that's it they totally yeah yeah it. they do because they love i mean the fact that it's so just weird and quirky which like you said originally that turned you off to xtc themselves just was their uh, quirkiness and and that's the thing with andy partridge i mean i love him as a songwriter and a musician but you could tell he's an eccentric extremely intelligent but extremely eccentric uh, person right yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always see him as goofy kid that got picked on for being really smart. 
You yeah, know, yeah, you, right, exactly. <laughs> and I, of course, I related to that. So I think you know, maybe when I was when I was first hearing it, I was like, okay, well, this makes me feel like I did when I was ten on the schoolyard or something like that. And uh, eventually, I you know, once once you drop any kind of pretense in your own brain, it kind of you can wrap yourself around you know the quality that's there. And I, yeah, the whole album started to grow. And there's still a couple songs on drums and wires I don't really like. And really over across, over the whole XTC spectrum, there's a lot of stuff I don't really dig, but um, Drums and Wires, Black Sea, I think those are like perfect albums almost. Yeah, know? they're really great and influential, really influential. And uh, yeah, to me, I mean, I got, I'm, I'm a little older than you and I was, uh, I got into XTC, uh, a go-to was the first uh, one I bought. I'm pissed though, because I bought the record, but I didn't get the Go Plus thing in there. That would have been awesome if I got that. But oh I hunted that thing down for years. <laughs> I in fact, I only got one after we inherited the record store. Ah, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was able to finally get a copy because it was in my basement. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So let's let's do it. So uh, a takeaway is side one, right? And the lure of salvage right. is side two. So that's, that's how right. he's got it split out. And the first song on the takeaway side is commerciality. they start out this one does sound like more of a dub type thing especially when the bass when the bass comes in um yeah so that's actually the only one that's not based on a released xtc tune that's from a tune called refrigeration release um which never came out i've never heard it i've never actually never even tried yeah to i guess it, it was an outtake they were they were recorded when they did the recorded songs for the first uh, album right. yeah i got refrigeration blue just sitting here in my tin can But um, yeah, the poem that's involved in that is, is really cool. It's just kind of a you know a bunch of buzzwords and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the recording of that is, or the uh, I don't know the recording of that, or the mixing, or the dubbing of that. It has that uh, that cool pan drum sound, and and um, it kind of really sets you know the uh, the shot across the bow, as it were, for what for what you're about to get yourself into. Right, right. Sort of in a way, but like I said, it also 
was more dub uh, sounding than some of the other stuff because it's not just straight. I mean, you know, uh, as you said before, it's not just a straight. He didn't do the straight usual thing where you're just taking out some things and accentuating the bass. He did a lot more than that with some of these songs, which is really cool because he basically, yeah, but uh, just the fire sign indicate luminous pornography, heliograph and Morse photography, signal ad, uh, commerciality. Yeah, this is, um, I mean, this is him. This is him. Clever, right? Really good, really smart, using a, a lot of words. Yeah, and not uh, not necessarily saying anything explicitly, but giving the impression of an attitude or giving the impression of an, of, a, of an opinion. Right. Um, but, no, but not smacking you over the head with it. And that, that music just sounds, it's a, such a beautiful, subtle dub. That's what I love about it so much. That just, you know, it's funny because it's like, what was it, 1980, how many years, 42 years later, and this still excites me. I still, it's, I still feel like I did when I was, you know, 15, hearing this for the first time. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So now we get the second thing is the day they pulled the North Pole down, which is based on the song Heatwave. Let's listen to it. Heatwave. Futuristic sounding, almost craftwork sounding in a way. Yeah, yeah, like a craftwork dub kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I really, and this is one of my favorites on the album too. Really? Um, I even have a ringtone. I just, I gotta hear it all the time. Um, but uh, one of the things I think is really cool about this one is that they tore down one of the most XTC XTC songs of the month, Heatwave. Super quirky, um, you know, razor re- re- sharp guitars coming out in all directions, and he slowed it down to a complete torpor. Like he just made it a meditative. Right. He made this like right. wacky short song into the short and the slow meditative, uh, I guess, groove. Um, and then the guitar, the guitar solo comes in, and the guitar solo on Heatwave is is exactly the distillation of XTC you know, wacky, uh, atonal, stuff like that. Right. And he just distorts the hell out of it, and it's all slow, and it fits really well with what they're doing here. But it's, 
I don't know. I mean, I can't say enough about this tune. I, I love that even the title kind of says it perfectly. <laughs> now, I, I was going to ask you. So, how old were you when you d- discovered this? How how old are you? Well, I realized I would have been I would have been fourteen at the time when it came out. Um, I would have turned fifteen that year in May. So I'm fifty seven now. Wow. So that's impressive that a kid fourteen, fifteen would appreciate this and gravitate. To me, that's pretty impressive. Like you're a, either that or you were just a really weird kid. <laughs> because... I was a really weird kid. Plus, I mean, I had really weird friends. I think that was part of it too. I was, you know, I kind of grew up with with uh, the punk rock stuff uh, going on in Southern California. Right. So you know, like bands like the Dills, the Zeros, uh, Germs, all that stuff. But uh, I was in San Diego, actually in Chula Vista, which is, I mean, that's as, as far near the border as you can get. Um, but there were, I, I was just lucky enough to, when I got into high school, find like-minded people. And like four or five of them, not even that many. Right. And my friend group grew and everybody had different influences and we all got into different stuff. But we had, but there was this one guy who was like a, a friend, John Hall. He was a only child, um, divorced p- parents. And his mother, I don't know what the deal was. His mother basically gave him anything he wanted, I, I think, just to oh, keep him right. happy. And so he had the rad record collection. Um, so he was always making tapes for for his friends and stuff like that and turning us on to all sorts of stuff. Oh, it was where I first heard The Residents. It was where I first heard, uh, God, I can't, even, I can't even think right now, but lots of stuff. He, he just had a massive record collection for a 14-year-old. You know, yeah. It was pretty I mean, that is, that's pretty, but you know, you could still be exposed to stuff, but the fact that you like got it and, uh, you know, at such a young age, that's to me, that's pretty impressive. I don't know. I think it is. Um, all right. So we got, good friends. that was it. right. We got the forgotten language of light, which is based on millions. The song millions. I think it's millions. So millions from drums wise. Right, right. Most prominently, the drums kept in. Like some of the drum parts, like the fills, or I don't know what they what what drummers do when they go from one thing to another. But cool stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, of course, when I was a little kid, I didn't know any. You know, when I was like 15, I didn't know anything about uh, Hugo Ball or, or Duchamp or who was that guy? Um, 
uh, the tone poem guy, Kurt Schwitters. I, I wasn't aware of that. I think yeah, I of course not. <laughs> Remain in Light was about to come out. Right, and right. Then exactly. Highlights in the Book of Ghosts. And where he actually, and oh, uh, uh, that Eno album, um, um, da, 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 Before and After Science. And that has like direct Kurt Schwitters recording. From Ursonata that has uh, some of his uh, the phone Chris is doing. Now cruising just above the ground, 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 and gonna put some burnish on his steel. And with her feelers moving round, 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 is sharpening her needles on the wheel. Um, so I was just, I mean, of course, this is like this whole brave new world opening up to this, you know, this high school kid. And so, Forgotten Language of Light, totally, totally smacking right in the face. As, as something really, really new and, and very evocative. And, I, and this is one of those things where you can see why uh, cultured Japanese uh, enthusiasts, it would, it would really appeal to them. It's like it has that kind of artistic uh, value to it. Yeah, Whereas, yeah, that's right. And they're so good at that, at just embracing that and not, you know, and, and, and not caring if it's, you know, weird or different or anything and just like, you know, getting all, all in on that and just, uh, yeah. l- and loving the, the weirdness. It completely, uh, supports it. Cause it's, yeah, it's just, it's basically, it's a tone poem, just like her sonata. And he's just using these blasts to kind of paint these pictures like the drums, you know, they, they provide that really cool backbone, but then those blasts of guitar that if you want to, you know, extrapolate it this far they sound like light peering in like somebody opening blinds or on a you know bright morning or something like that or right. a sun or whatever and it's just really cool it's almost like a i don't like, like the feeling of a, a really well thought out haiku or something like that yeah yeah that's good that's a great way uh that's a great way to put it and um all right so the next one steam fist futurist uh real by real which some of the uh, you know uh, like uh, like you said some of these it's like fun to sort of play uh, you know can you figure out what what yeah. it is but <laughs> but on the original record did they tell you that did they give you the clues on there or no no nothing they at all didn't. Um, yeah i didn't think so i didn't think there's so. no inner sleeve it's just the covers and all it really just says is you know the, the wacky little stuff that I'm assuming Partridge wrote on there like if, if you like John Wires or go to this wave approximately the yeah, same I saw that so that's like, awesome that's, so that's, that's fantastic <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious alright let's listen to a little bit of Steam Fist Futurist
really cool. I think he basically just took the drums and like treated them and made them different and then just kept this little bit, you know, some of the bass from the original one. And and that I love how he kept the little the thing at the beginning. He kept that from the original one. <laughs> I know. I love that. Just the way it opens, too. It's very uh, like little blasts of sound. And then it breaks into this really forward drum sound. I think for years I assumed it was backwards. Like I thought he was playing the tape backwards. I was wondering that too, because it has that sound, but I don't think it is. I think it's just how they treated it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's just how they treated like some kind of gated, you know, uh, eventide harmonizer. That's it, which is nothing you you would not know that. We didn't know about gates back then, but that's what I think it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I still don't understand it, but yeah. Um, I know it's that's I mean that's a real basic tune. I I really again like the rest of the album. I'll say it's one of my favorites, but you know it's just a really well put together uh, exercise. It almost sounds like an exercise, like they're just trying to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly. We'll throw that little keyboard melody that it then you know lends his peep and all that stuff. So it's right. it's kind of cool. I like that one though. Yep. And uh, the next one, some of these, just the ti- just the titles that he comes up with, it's just so evocative. Shore Leave Ornithology, and then parentheses, <laughs> another 1950. What does he mean? Let's listen to it. really cool yeah so a pulsing pulsing was the b-side to making plans for nigel right right um and again you know as with um uh day they pulled the north pole down taking a really frenetic tune and completely zapping all of the the quirkiness out of it yes exactly meditative and you know being being of course a 15 year old you know punk rock kid i didn't know at the time uh, that this was Ornithology by uh, Charlie Parker. I had no idea. Oh, well, uh, I didn't know that till just a second when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't exposed to it. I didn't really care. It seemed like, you know, muso crap that I 
you know, couldn't deal with. So I never listened to Charlie Parker or any of that stuff. And I finally, finally heard Ornithology just randomly. Oh, uh, so, okay. Now, that's, now that's some of the funny. lyrics, yeah, make sense. <laughs> yeah. And this poem is about, uh, I don't know what the hell it's about, actually. I've well, he's lyrics. got, but he's got the saxophone in there and he's got, uh, don't mention that black man and he's got bird, yeah. bird, bird. So yeah. That- <laughs> bird, 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 right. Oh, the coffee sound, his, his, his uh, mouth right up to the mic. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a, a great sound. I love it. Um, but yeah, the guitar part. That's Ornithology by Charlie Parker. Ah, I had no okay. I just thought it was a really cool jazzy guitar line. Right. Um, but just the fact that he took the he he built it around just that one little bass figure, that you know, one second of uh pulsing pulsing and stretched it out to six minutes long. Um, god damn, that's really inventive. I mean, him and Lucky, they it's like they, they didn't even try too hard. They just kind of like ideas popped into their head and they threw them down. It has that feel. You're right. It has that feel of just two guys just in the studio, just like, yeah, not uh, laboring over stuff, but just sort of letting things happen and just sort of yeah, playing around with, uh, with sounds and not worrying about anything, just doing art for art's sake, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a beautiful tune. I, I turned my kid onto it when, um, when she was just like oh, four, I think, or something like that. <laughs> And it became like one of those things we would listen to in the car, you know, like several times in a row. And nice, yeah, you know, stuff like that. But That's it was great. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's a nice tune. It's really cool. I, yeah, I don't know. I can go on and on about it. Um. All right. Well, I got a question for you for this next one, Cairo, because uh, Homo Safari. What is that? The song Homo Safari. Yeah, Homo Safari. So it's the B side of Making Plans for Nigel. Oh, another. Okay, so another B side, uh, but. It's weird because it's that song's called Homo Safari, but this Cairo thing has a definite a Devo vibe to me. I mean, oh, it, totally. right? Yeah. It, it does. So, yeah, it's there for sure. Let's listen to a little bit of Cairo. Like uh, the hardcore Devo series, which is like the early Devo recording for oh, yeah, their the first album. Yeah, with balls and uh, yeah, was that uh, penetration in the center for the back of the sky? Yeah, yeah. 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 This definitely has that vibe, that feel to me. And and it's funny, I never put it together 
how oh yeah they're very they were similar they were kind of like a British Devo in in a way and how quirky they were right and but still they could write these really catchy pop like songs but they couldn't help also being really weird and quirky well in true in true measure of tit for tat I had never thought about the idea of them being anything similar to Devo whatsoever until you just mentioned it right <laughs> <laughs> right no i'm p- totally picturing like twin conversations one happening in like cleveland and another happening in like birmingham or exactly Bir- exactly saying well devo they're just nothing but no you know yep. sped up <laughs> xtc right mate right and then <laughs> some guy you know in cleveland saying nah that you know that xtc they're nothing but a slowed down devo or something like that. yeah exactly that's so funny <laughs> no but it totally makes sense i mean even it sounds like with the vocal you know it's all sped up and stuff like that like he sped it up to make himself sound like Mark Mother's boss. Right. That's what it seems like. Yeah, it really does. It shock me, yeah. It's great though. Um, all, right, all right. So we flip it over side to the allure of salvage side. Uh, the rotary, different, definitely helicopter. You could hear that. Uh, this is, you could hear that beat, you know, the helicopter song from uh, the helicopter on this one for sure. I feel like even if I didn't, they didn't tell me that I would have known. It. Yeah. That was the first thing to pop. I mean, you know it right away. Exactly. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of the rotary. So they definitely, this is new guitars and bass put on this, right? And it, uh, it's, right. Just, it's really cool. And it just makes it into something totally different. Oh, this this song, this is my jam. This is like my, <laughs> one of my favorite songs ever made. I absolutely love this. It's driving music. It's dancing music. It's it's like if you want to piss everybody off anywhere you're at. Put yes. This on, <laughs> well, speaking yeah. of that, he mentions, he name checks uh, Captain Beefheart here. This is the thing that's and definitely going to make Captain Beefheart. So I was wondering, were you already aware of Captain Beefheart before this, or was this the first time you've made Yeah, actually, when I was, um, I think it was about 10, uh, there was one of those uh, like $2 record stores, you know, those like cheapo third run uh, records used record stores in in my hometown national city california is my hometown's so right right part of san diego but uh there were like a bunch of these little crappy record stores around and you could get you know any record that had been put out in the last 10 years for like two dollars and so i was poor so i had two dollars and i got a single record version of captain beefheart trout mask um it just looked weird so i bought it and there was right. only one of the it, it wasn't the two records 
Uh, it was missing, I think, the last half or something like that. But I was like, yeah, shit, I'll give a crap. And, and, I'd, and I'd been reading about it in like, Queen and, and Circus and stuff like that. But you know, there was always kind of like dismissive, you know, well, you know, they, they'd make light of some kind of record and compare it to, to Trout Mask. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see what it's about. And it didn't really blow my mind. I thought it was kind of 60s sounding, you know, because it is. Right. <laughs> uh, but still, I mean, it, the, the tune stuck in my head. I mean, Veterans Day poppy sticks in your head. You, you just can't get around that. Um, so then when, I, you know, when this album came out, and I heard him referencing both Beefheart and Snakefinger in the same sentence, um, luckily, I had, that friend of mine that I mentioned, John Hall, he had turned me on to Residence and Snakefinger and Fred Frith and all that. So I wasn't completely out of the realm, and I heard that Andy Partridge liked the Residence as well. So I was kind of starting to put it all, you know, together. Um, I know the Residents were big Beefheart fans too, so that's when it kind of opened me up to listening to Beefheart. Right. But yeah, I, I totally get that. But it's just the whole thing about this tune is what they did with the drum sound and just making it. I don't know. It sounds like fifteen drum sounds piled on top of each other to make the most obnoxiously loud right. drive. <laughs> right. And it's like, you don't even need other sounds on this thing. And you hear the little squiggles of guitar and stuff, but um, that drum beat just, just sends you, it, it really carries it. I love it. Yep. And now we totally shift gears with the next one. Cause they take, that is the way the song that is the way and uh, Mad Hatton, they they strip and they keep that the horns which i always thought were very even on the drums and wires the horns the way they come in it gave it a very melancholy like noir feel and i feel like he, he leaned into all that for this uh mad hatton yeah it's really mm-hmm. cool and it's got this long okay. opening uh let's just do it then we could talk about it mad hatton really cool because i feel like i almost feel like i hear the song like almost trying to break out of the dub that they put it in you know it's like there underneath and it's almost trying to break out of it yeah it's interesting that way it's it's actually one of my least favorites on the album if not my least favorite but still it's it's a total banger um but yeah it really does kind of hold true to the dub i'd I'd say for the most part uh but like you mentioned before man that that uh, trumpet is 
just a beautiful thing. And I'm really glad they use so much more of it that, than is on the actual song. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm wondering, I guess I'm I'm thinking it was probably all on the track there and they and they, you know, on the original track and they use some of it in there, but they're using, you know, they're bringing up all the the things that the trumpet player was playing, which is yeah, it, yeah, it's really but cool. Of, but it makes me wonder like where was it? <laughs> right, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it goes on beyond the beyond the beyond the end of the song. So I'm like, okay, well, where was that in the song originally? Or was it just kind of dropped out or was it in the beginning or right did did they just keep the tape running while dick cathal kept playing or you know what <laughs> well here's <laughs> so, uh, yeah here's one thing i was wondering going to ask you because this is one uh, the original that is the way it was uh a, a co-written by partridge and molding what do you think they the other guys thought of this do, uh, do you I know like uh, have you read because i was trying to find i couldn't find anything about that uh not in the song specifically but just um the history of XGC, you you know that, I mean, Andy Partridge really tried to make it about himself as far as not letting Molding have too many songs. Yeah. Um, he, oh, he seemed like he seems like a really hard guy to work with in a band. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that attack on them, the XTC documentary? Uh, I've seen a couple. I don't. I haven't seen. Uh, is there a more recent one or? Uh, I don't know. No, it came out a while ago, but it's kind of hard to find. But I did see it. It does not. It's really good, but it does not paint him in a good light. <laughs> you is know. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. But you're right. No, it and it, it sounds like it doesn't really paint him in a good light. But that he was cool with it, not painting him in a good. Oh, light. Oh yeah, yeah. He was just. Uh, this is me. This is this is who I am. Yeah. <laughs> but he's finally come to grips with the fact that you know. He can be a real jerk at times. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. how many great? Uh, we could say that about so many great artists that we love, right? <laughs> almost, almost every great artist you can probably say that. Yeah. except I for mean, Mike Watt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's people who probably have some kind of gripe with him too. Who knows? You know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I, it's a nice tune. It's just it really does hold to the dub standard. It, of, it is. It's more. Uh, Honestly, that is more like what I assumed before I listened to it, that the whole album would be like more like that song, which is not, oh, yeah. which is, which ultimately makes it a much more interesting album that it's not all like that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Um, all right. So, uh, I sit in the snow is, uh, uh, taken from Rhodes girdle, the globe. did with this song and with the sounds and especially with those keyboard sounds are you a stranglers fan at all 
Love the Stranglers. I love the Stranglers too, and I feel like the Stranglers, like when they got into start doing their more weird stuff, like the gospel according to the Men in oh, Black yeah. and stuff like that. I hear that. It sounds like you know Men in Black. It, this reminded me of that uh, Men in Black song. We're not here to destroy. So I just feel like these are just really artistic, talented people that somehow got lumped in with the punk scene, but were about so much more than that, you know, and they just wanted, they just chased all these, uh, you know, Dada-esque things and, and, and things that were, are really punk when you think about it, but it's just a, a lot of bands just wouldn't ever think of doing. I mean, especially with the Stranglers, they weren't really punks. I mean, they were hated by the punks. Oh, of course, right. But they somehow, yeah, I mean, that's how I got into them because I thought they were uh, a punk band. And then I ended up loving them. Yeah, they're not. But yeah, they, they never really. Uh, for me, it was all about the bass. It was all about that. Oh, DJ my God. So great. But yeah, I definitely, that jumped out of me in this song that I could hear. Uh, definitely. Oh, yeah. It didn't even occur to me. It does sound like Men in Black or the album Men in Black. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, the song and the album are in different, different albums. But yeah, not only that, but. God, it's funny. It's all happening around the same time. 79, 80, 81. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but also uh, this, as I mentioned before with the residents and the influence of the residents, uh, this uh, coincides with the time that he that uh, Eskimo had come out. Because Eskimo came out the same year as Drums and Wires. And Eskimo is basically just a bunch of faux Eskimo sounds. Right, you know? right. And, that's right. And uh, I know Andy Partridge really loved that album. So this to me sounds like kind of his uh, tribute almost right. to the resident. And of course, later that year, later in '80, he ended up on a residence album. So he's on the commercial album. Oh uh, really? Just, oh, I, yeah, he, I, I didn't a, know he that. He has a song called Margaret Freeman. It's hilarious. It's really cool. Margaret Yeah, find Margaret Freeman. <laughs> I will. I'll definitely, and I'll put it in here, and I'll play One it. One minute for long, sure. you can't lose. Um, <laughs> awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's really cool. But, like, it's, uh, yeah, he and he, uh, him, Lena Lovich, um, of course, Fred Frith is all over it. Uh, David Byrne and Brian Eno ended up on this one residence album. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I think, uh, Eno and Byrne are uncredited, but it, that would have been around the time they were doing uh, Push a Ghost, so that's that makes sense. Right. But, um yeah, God, I love this one. And it goes back to the the I sit in the snow. It goes back to that whole thing we were talking about uh with the Japanese influence and the uh like why it might appeal to to people that have that kind of artistic sensibility. Because it really does evoke, you know, the uh environmental feeling of sitting in the snow or right. being in the <laughs> Yes, exactly. Sea is all hell, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, and now, and now we get a really interesting instrumental, which they take. Yeah, they take this song uh, "Red," especially in "Day In Day and Out," uh, which is another frantic. "Red" is like this frantic song, and it, this is not frantic at all. It's a, it's a very, uh, it's an instrumental uh, work away Tokyo Day. Totally, you know, totally something new. Uh, created something new out of it. Let's listen to it.
somber ethereal thing and then all of a sudden it just crashes in with that jarring stuff and it's just uh, uh, it's really cool I mean, it, it sounds so especially right after um i sit in the i sit in the snow it has that contemplative really nice pastoral sound oh yeah those they, i i feel like the whole thing is sequenced really well and those two really work uh well uh going one into the next oh totally yeah i mean just the, the fact that he uses seven horn sections or you know sax parts and blast them all together. Right. (laughs) It's really cool. It is. I'm on board. I'll tell you, I just, uh, this really blew me away. Your pick. Uh, Once I could actually uh, find the songs. (laughs) Oh man. I had no idea. It was that, that, uh, that obscure now. Right. Um, when it came out, it was, you know, a, a cut rate. And it was in the dollar bins for years and years and years. Oh, I'm sure. I could imagine. I just. I would have loved to have been in the room, hear the conversation of him trying to convince the label to call this an XTC album. (laughs) 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 all right so we got the final track on it uh not not really uh recognizable to making plans for nigel at least not um once you know it maybe you could pick it out but uh new broom uh really cool way to end the record let's listen to it one he's kind of laying it out there his philosophy and outlook uh on life right in a yeah, way yeah <laughs> it makes sense i mean he even uh, name checks uh, steve ditko which is kind of cool right right the comic book so because uh, mr a is his thing right yeah. and that whole thing is yeah. like was inspired on like what did they call it objectivism oh, uh, yeah something like that yeah yeah it was like we're superman and all that uh yeah kind of um it's almost like Thanos in, in the uh, one Avengers or whatever series. Yeah, it's kind of like over, like the, the how do you even say it? like a Superman basically, right? Like, but like not like Superman the the character, like the Superman, like the larger, you know? right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. I know. I but of course it turned me on to as with so many things on this album, it turned me on to other things like Charlie Parker. Like, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about Ditko or Mr. A or anything like that, but I looked it up. It's like. 
Yeah, wow, this is pretty interesting stuff, but it, it really is kind of like, well, this is what built Andy Partridge. Right, you know? right, yeah, exactly. XTC is the effluvium, and this album is, this is how I got here. <laughs> you, can, you can look at it that way if you want, right? Yeah, but I'm really, I'm just going to be curious when this episode comes up, how many, because I know XTC is, a, you know, obviously a lot of listeners to this show love XTC, and we've done, I think we've just done the one, we've done a, a Drums and Wires, we did a Drums and Wires episode, and I'm sure at some point someone will pick other XTC records, but I'm just, uh, I'm curious how many fans, because you, like, this is your, this is your main jam, like, this is your main thing, this is what you you love the most out of all of that right yeah and it, it's funny because when i first started listening to your show i was uh i was thinking man i'd really love to get on there and talk about like my favorite album of all time um public image limited's metal box oh, yeah, that, for years i would that. always say that's my favorite album that's like the the album that made me who i am the the bass the all that stuff and I, i've always gone on and on and on about it and it was only until i started listening to your show that i realized god i really haven't listened to that album in a long time but take away the lure of salvage. I listen to it like every couple of weeks. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. That's yeah. That's interesting. Well, you needed maybe Metalbox. You just needed that to get you on your way and create you. But then after that, you don't need to listen to it anymore. But this yeah. is something more that you need to listen to. Absolutely. I mean, New Broom too is such a big, uh, you know, kind of boiling down and, and so many different philosophies and things like that and. It really, and it's a very impactful tune. Yeah. Um, the way that the instruments, he just slowly adds them in. Like the bass line from Making Plans for Nigel and some of the other sounds. And by the end, when it when it gets to the, uh, I don't know, the coda? Anyway, where it starts to end, where the, that dun, 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 that, that, yeah, that's dramatic as all hell. Yeah, it is. I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll have that playing in. I'll play that in at the end. And yeah, you could tell there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of craft gone into it. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's just this odd, uh, this odd thing that it's cool that, uh, that, you know, that a label, they were able to get someone to put out. It's hard. I feel like today, well, someone could do it just on their own now, but they wouldn't probably yeah, get true. else to put it out. And, and I think as Andy Partridge has proven, he can just put stuff out on his own. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, why not? He should be able to. Someone that, you know. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Inventive and talented and everything. And uh, he, should, he should be able to do whatever. He can be reined in. I, just, I wish he'd make another one of these, like something like that. Just, And that was one of the big things about this album is I kind of, it kind of gave him the idea that he'd keep doing it. Oh, yeah, right, thought, right, yeah. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because since he did it to go to and then he did it with this, yeah, maybe he would do it every couple of years. But I don't know, who knows? Maybe maybe it's all planned and it'll still come out. He's still... He, maybe he's him still and Lucky can get back together. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've listened to some recent interviews with Lucky and he still sounds like he's got that fire. Like he, like he wants to do really cool stuff. Oh, nice. All right, well, speaking of that, speaking of fire, let's uh, mention one more time. <laughs> If you want to check out uh, Kevin's awesome hot sauce, it's El Enojado. That's E-N-O-J-A-D-O, uh, elenojado.com for El Enojado hot sauce. Not just what sauce, but uh, all you sounds like you just got some really awesome, uh, awesome uh, sauces, and it just sounds really cool. Thank you. And if uh, yeah, if you're ever in San Francisco, uh, cruise down Market Street, head over and, and see Grooves. Uh, lots of old used stuff. Nice. That's great. And you're living, look at you, you're living like your dream, your rock and roll dream, right? Pretty nice. It is. I mean, it took forever, but 
<laughs> right. And you know, real quick, uh, I was going to ask you, you said in the, was it in the 80s you were in a band in California called The Front? Right. Did you know there's a Miami, there was a Miami band in the 80s called The Front? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I see their record every once in a while. Yeah, they're um, really good. I'm uh, actually uh, friends with the, I, just, uh, I think there's only one left now, Greg, uh, one or two guys left in the band. Uh, still alive, but yeah, they were a great band. But I'm the front's kind of a common name, so there were probably fronts all over. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I checked Discogs a while back, and there was like, I don't know, like 11 years yeah. ago. <laughs> okay. So, if you're wondering, we're number seven. <laughs> all right, nice. That's But you're in there. You're on the. Uh, yeah, we're front, uh, parentheses, seven. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, uh, you guys know if you want to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, you can go to at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. Uh, you could email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you want to become a patron of the show, most important, you go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Become a patron of the show. Kevin, this was awesome. I'm so glad to have you on, and this was a great record to talk about. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to, glad to be able to hopefully turn some people onto it. I think you will. I think you will. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you guys next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. Let there be snow.